Good evening. Good evening. Hello. I was like, wow. I do, they're like our cardboard cutouts. Hey. Thanks. Um, so we're going to be talking about Ephesians 3 tonight. And about five years ago, um, we got to visit Ephesus, actually. Um, Rick takes his master's program cross-culturally every year. And that year, they went to Turkey. And as a family, we tagged along. And part of the trip was just a little jaunt over to Ephesus. So I have about 150 slides that we're going to look at tonight. Not really, maybe a few. But I wanted you to see Ephesus. So Ephesus was a port, although you see no water because all the water is receded. But it was a port city, a capital of Asia. And there was about 500,000, so about the city of Wichita, living in Ephesus. And you can see the pillars. It was a beautiful walkway down um, with pillars on each side. You can see it just winding itself down into the city. Magnificent city. Um, lots of people coming in and trading. It was multi-ethnic, very diverse. So many people coming in through the port. Um, and by road and lots and lots of trading going on, but this a beautiful capital city. Next. So this would be something, this was taken in Antakya or Antioch, but this would be some of the stuff they'd be trading, some spices or nuts, um, almonds, olives, dried fruit, just all this really good stuff in the markets. Next. <laughs> this is like an example of a home um, that you would go up into the home, down through the, through the archway there. Next. <laughs> um, another example from the street. This is like in the middle of the colonnade, looking out like on each side. These would be the houses right in the middle of the city, just right there as you walk through. Next. Um, they had a huge library, massive library that people would come and study. Um, it was just fantastic to look at, beautiful architecture, architecture well-known um, throughout the world. People would come to see this library. And this was the amphitheater where, if you read in Acts 19, Demetrius was a silversmith and he made silver um, idols of Artemis. And he got really upset with Paul and his colleagues for teaching about Christ. He pulled some of Paul's colleagues into the amphitheater right down there where the people are standing, got the crowd in the, in the city together. The mayor comes, tells everyone to chill out. It's a good story. But the amazing thing about that is when you're on stage, you can sit anywhere in that amphitheater and you can hear the person talking about this level. It's just unbelievable. So that's the amphitheater. And then that's just a view going out from the library. And this, this, oh, see the cats? Aren't they cute right in the front? They're just hanging out on the temple of Artemis. That is what's left of this massive temple that people came worldwide to see, the library in this temple and worship at this temple. That's what's left. Next one. These I loved because those jars, they would have had cleansing jars when you went to the temple. Remember? Uh, when Jesus turned water into wine, those were cleansing jars that he turned the water into wine where they would wash. And that, that rust-colored one was kind of like the jar they would have. Just huge, massive things. 
And then they had these cool icons everywhere, just on all kinds of pillars. I mean, I took about 20. This is one, but just really cool icons. Oh, there's another one. And then that is looking out the other side. So the port, would have, you would have come in one side. You would have looked at these beautiful fields um, on the other. And we'll leave it there. And so that is the city that Paul spent from A.D. 63 to 67 preaching about Christ. So he's there about four years. Leaves, and then here we have the letter uh, to the Ephesians. And 14 through 20 is a passage that I spent a lot of time in, and I'll tell you why later, but um, it's a passage I love. It's near and dear to my heart. And I think it speaks to us today. We'll get to that in a minute. So starting with the verse 14. So Paul is talking, as we know already, he's trying to let people in on God's mysterious plan, which was, does anyone remember God's mysterious plan? That Jews, I know it feels like school, no. So um, Jews and Gentiles living together, that the table, that, that the kingdom of God is open to everyone, not just the Jewish people, that Gentiles were actually welcomed in and they were, they were invited into community and into relationship with the Jews. I don't know about your family history. I don't know. I don't know if you were taught growing up, there is a people group you don't mess with, you don't talk to, you don't interact with. I have no idea. But can you imagine Paul talking to new Christian Jewish believers from generations of teaching, you have nothing to do with Gentiles, nothing, nothing to do with these people. All of a sudden, through the person of Christ, they are told, oh, no, you know, Gentiles are part now of the kingdom of God. They're part of the family. They are, God's mysterious plan was that his love would extend to everyone. That would be really difficult. And I wonder, I wish I knew what happened with Paul. Those three days he was blind and did not eat or drink in Damascus. I wonder what happened. Because he was the proponent against Christ and was persecuting and killing Christians everywhere. What did God tell him that absolutely convinced him that two things, Christ was the Son of God and Jews and Gentiles would live together? and be part of a church together. What in the world did God tell him? I mean, there's nothing. We know nothing except that here he says, um, earlier in chapter three, he says, God revealed the mysterious plan to me, and I get to tell you this plan. He was so convinced of it that he took beatings on his back. He got stoned. I mean, he went through hell and back, but he believed what he was teaching. So something God told him got hold of him. And I would love to know what it is. But he says, when I think of the wisdom and scope of God's plan, Jews and Gentiles, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Pause. He says, I fall to my knees. Right there is a clue. The righteous people stood up praying. 
Remember, it talked about, Jesus talked about the Pharisees on the corner. Don't pray like them. They stand and they say their prayers. You know, you go in your private room. Something about Paul, he totally goes against that righteous stance of prayer. He falls to his knees. Submission. Totally different prayer stance. That's the first thing. Then he says, I pray to the Father, the creator of everything on heaven and earth. We're not talking about father as in parent father, as in our father who art in heaven, Abe, A-B-E-A. We're not talking that father. This one, this reference is to God the Father as three things. Creator, creator of heaven and earth and all. Restorer, a God who restores. We sang about that just a minute ago. And sustainer. A God who sustains. So Paul is saying to the people he's teaching, he's saying, look, I know that this is a game changer. I know that you have to now totally do a 180 in everything you believe for generations about the Gentiles and Gentiles about Jews. But you have a God who created all of this, who can restore us together as a people and can sustain us. I just want to ask you right now, if you were to think about God in one of those categories, which one would be most significant for you? Would it be God as creator? Would it be God as restoring something in you? Maybe belief, faith, hope? Would it be the God of sustaining? Sustaining in a crisis? You know, when you go through a death in a family, um, as, you know, Mo, it's, it is hard to sustain faith in a crisis. So, just a curiosity. So, Paul says, I pray to this Father, and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit. Again, mighty inner strength glorious unlimited resources and it goes back to the fish the bread um, there is nothing so small that God can't take and multiply his resources are phenomenal they're unlimited they're crazy there's no end and I don't know if we went through the room and 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 told each other stories of how God's resources were shown to us I bet each of us would have some kind of story to say, man, this is where God came through, that resource. When we live in God's economy, God's economy is crazy because God has no like limit. There's no trading and bartering. It's just like, whoosh, it's lavish. It's here. You need this, have it. And uses us to do that many, many times. So that's the God he's praying to, unlimited resources. He says, I, and I pray that God will give you mighty inner strength through his spirit. That word inner strength literally translates into the inner human. So I'm, Paul's saying, I'm praying that strength would come into your inner human, which is, in another word, you're thinking. You're human because you think. And I'm praying that the Spirit will allow you to think differently, that the Spirit will allow you to, in your inner humanity, as a human, you think that's what makes you different, 
I'm praying that his spirit will give you the strength to think differently about the people that you're with. And that's through the spirit. You can't do it alone. But my spirit will give you strength to think differently. And then he, he's all about neuroscience and neuroplasticity. He says, and then, which is changing pathways in your brain, he says, and I pray that Christ will become more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. Remember, Christ is new on the scene. Christ is totally new on the scene. 30 years. If Paul was in Ephesus 63 AD, 30 years Christ has been on the scene. People are like, do we, do we trust him? I mean, if you just met someone, right? I mean, it's, do we trust him? And Paul is saying, as Christ takes up residence in your heart, heart in the Hebrew meant that is the inner source of feeling, of decisions, of how I interact with you, how I choose to do that. The heart is the inmost place. It's not just an organ that's pumping blood. In Hebrew, the heart was the seat of the emotion. It was the seat of everything. And Paul's saying when Christ takes up residence in your heart, moves into your heart, it will empower you to love these people that you are now asked to love. So, he says, through your inner strength of the Spirit, your mind can change. Through, through Christ taking a residence, your heart can change. Your love for people can change. And then he says, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Now, their roots went down deep into the law. They knew the law. Desperately knew the law. But he says, I want you now, your roots, to go into God's love. Law and love. Law and love. Your roots have to take root in God's love, not your own, because it'll be really difficult. And may God's people, will you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is for you. Again, the power to understand, the power is Christ's power, not our own, but the power that Christ has of healing, of giving people dignity. And he says, that power, may you understand it, although you won't be able to see it. I can't see the end of anything. I can't see the end of height. If I look in the sky like this morning, I can't see the end of the sky. Like, it's just limitless. And again, he's saying, well, you have the power to understand how God's love is wrapped around you so deeply, so marvelously. And then he says, and may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. It's kind of like, thanks, Paul. <laughs> So great, you'll never understand it. But may you experience, because we have two kinds of memory. We have semantic memory, which is facts and knowledge. All of us in school, we get facts and knowledge, right? Remember your facts, remember your knowledge, remember facts, remember knowledge. 
So there's semantic knowledge, maybe, may you understand, Paul addresses that, and then there's episodic memory, which is the episode. You remember your holidays together. You remember that conversation with a friend in a coffee shop. You remember going for that hike or that bike ride, maybe, um, around four laps today, maybe on your bike, and, <coughs> you know, hardcore riding. I don't know, maybe someone in our audience has that experience. But you remember it because it's episodic, it happened. And he's saying, may you experience the love of Christ. It happens to you. Although it's so great, you'll never understand it. Okay. But we can at least experience it. And then he says, after those things, then you will be filled, filled, filled. Just like to the top, brimming. I think of chocolate fountain overflowing, just filled, just filled and flowing. Chocolate fountains, love them with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You will be filled with the fullness of life and power. I'm so glad it doesn't say you'll be filled with uh, weakness and death. That would be really sad and not a gospel message I'd be excited about. But you'll be filled with life and power. Marvel has picked up on this. Like, you watch any Marvel show, it's life and power that's coming through all the characters, the heroes, right? Life and power. They're not, they're, not, um, they're not saying, wow, this weak character, isn't it great, this weak character? No. All their char- They've picked up on this theme that we have life and power. But as Christians, of course, <laughs> we get our life and power through Christ. And then... He's saying all this so that we can accomplish our mission, which is to love, be a different community, and show the world how to live in relationship with each other. The reason that this passage was really important to me is because I am not, I'm not proud of this story. It's kind of humiliating. It's very humiliating. But it's my journey, and I'm going to share it with you. So... When we lived, uh, before we lived in Wichita, we lived in Fresno, California. And we lived on a really nice historic boulevard. It was really beautiful with these big stately homes. We lived in the gardener's house. It was really small next to this mansion. I'm convinced it was the gardener's house. It was just so small. And this mansion next door. But we lived on this great, and I loved our home, our 1925 home. And within the first month, though. So a historic boulevard has homes and then an alley. So you have your home, your backyard, alley, backyard, home, right? The backyard's back to the alley. So within a month, I realize (laughs) that the guy behind working out of his backyard every day on cars loved to crank up his music. He was from a different cultural group, and it doesn't matter what it was. But he cranked up his music and the bass would come up through my floor. This is starting at 2 o'clock all day long. And I'm teaching at a university at night. I'm trying to grade papers during the day. Love sitting outside. Can't sit outside because the bass is like just... Well, you know, I can't even do a bass. But (laughs) someone can do a bass. And it's all day long. Not only that, but this cultural group loves to party and celebrate. So, on a regular basis, there would be a DJ coming in across 
Valley. And parties would happen till two or three, the base. All day long, now all, day, all night, several times. And if they weren't having a party, the whole block was a cultural group, the next door neighbors would have the party. And so it was like every weekend. And my soul, friends, I'm not kidding, I was dying inside. I need peace and quiet. And this was literally draining me. So I thought, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. I have an orange tree. Get a bag of oranges, toddle across the alley, say, hey, here's some oranges. Can you turn your music down? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Nope, nope. I mean, it would just crank right back up. And I tried the orange thing, and I tried bringing Christmas treats, and I tried having their kids over. And I mean, this went on. After six years, I, I gave up loving my neighbor. I said, I'm done. I would be lying on the carpet on the floor crying, saying, God, I can't do this. I can't love my neighbor anymore because nothing's changing and I'm trying. And the hardest part was that I began to be get really angry and bitter, not just at this family, but at the whole cultural group that they represented. And that's really hard for me to say out loud. My upbringing was, there was, you love everybody. We had everyone of every ethnicity in our home. So it was really hard for me to feel such anger and bitterness toward this people group. So after 10 years, we moved to Wichita. We get to our house, we tour through the house where we currently are. I'm like, love it, this is awesome. Here's where we're going to go. And I walk out. So I said to the realtor, yep, let's, we're going we're gonna to sign up. We're going to put it down. Let's go. We walk out, and I look over, and I see the person who lives there. She's out in her front yard um, with her kids, and she's of that cultural group. And I'm ashamed, but my heart dropped, and I was just like, no, I can't do this. I can't do this again. I cannot do this. And I went back to where we were staying. I fell to my knees like Paul, did not pray. I threw a full-on tantrum. <laughs> I was on my knees. I was like, Argh! and I'm just going at it with God. And God said, kind of quietly but forcefully, he said, you know why you can't love those neighbors? I said, why? He said, because they are not like you. You want a mirror of yourself to love. Ouch. I mean, shot to the heart. That song, it's like, oh, like, oh. Like, wow. I am only willing to love the people who are like me. And God said, and by the way, you think those people party hard? Wait till you get to my house. And I'm like, God, that's not even funny. That's like, not even funny. I'm not ready for that. Just like, no, not yet. God's like, we're going to celebrate, so you just get ready to practice, because this is nothing. I'm like, yeah, okay, but it's something to me right now. The other thing God said was, and here's the other thing, that woman you waved to in her front yard, you need her, and she needs you. And I'm like, nope, nope, all the way back to California on the drive, I'm like, I don't want her to need me, I don't want to need her, nope, 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 he's like, Yep, no, yep, no, all the way back. And for the next month, we pack up our house 
And while we're packing the house, something shifted. I landed in this passage, and I'm like, strength through the Spirit, because I can't do this. I can't. Spirit, you have got to change my heart. Somewhere in there, I started holding on to those words. You need her, and she needs you. And I started holding on to those as hope. We move here, and within a week, this family is reaching out. They are warm. They are hospitable. They are generous. They are beautiful, beautiful people. And nine years later, I can say they have completely, completely restored my love for that culture group. They have, I, I, there's not a lot I wouldn't do for this family. They have taught me love. They have taught me how to see others that celebrate differently, and that's okay. So I celebrate with my smooth jazz and glass of wine. <laughs> Big deal. Like, they party hard, and it's awesome. And they have taught me that that's okay. I needed her. God's unlimited resources, he used a person to restore to me love. I needed her. And then, unbeknownst to me, my parents were visiting, and she told my parents that I had helped restore to her hope that white people would like her. She needed me. I needed her. That is God's kingdom. Ephesus turned to rubble. Wichita may someday turn to rubble. We are taught in this day and age to hate. We are taught to be divided. We are taught to hold our ground and don't you budge. We are taught in this day opposite of what Paul was teaching. Living together with love in peace for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world that is still true today please pray with me father you are the god of all resources and and um when we're struggling with something you know and you know what we need you know how desperately our minds can get set our hearts can get hard and yet your spirit can give us mighty inner strength in our thinking. Christ, you take up residence in our heart and you can soften that heart and we can have your heart and we can experience your love through each other and begin to understand it just a little bit better. Thank you. You are pretty amazing. Amen.